0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Productize podcast. Um, This is the podcast where innovators, product creators, entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas, our mission is to inspire more people to build great product experiences. My name is André Marquis and I'll be your host today. Today I talk with Jean-Claude Freitas, a builder at heart, a passionate surfer, Engineer by training, he defines himself as finding meaning and creating value for others by structuring and executing new businesses. He goes surfing as much as possible, his brain sinks in systems systems like boxes and arrows, and someone who is deeply committed to embracing a continuous learning mindset as he develops himself and supports others in doing the same while having fun, hopefully. So welcome to the podcast, Raul very happy um, to be here Hi. <laughs> thanks I'm also excited um, And it is Coffiti's newest building which is arguably um, at least in my opinion one of the, the best office building in Lisbon at this moment
1: yeah well uh, it's it's our home right now and it uh, <laughs> it's it's a great place to create useful stuff
0: cool so um, who inspired you to pursue your your studies in in tech
1: well, so so i I started studying uh, electrical and computer engineering, frankly because um i i was I was good at math and physics, et cetera at at school and and so um I wanted to study something that would open up doors um and and kind of broaden broaden the the possibilities rather than narrowing it down to too early, right so i I was also very interested in in economics and in, in general, because my, my dad, uh, he was an economist by, by background, um, but yeah, inspired perhaps a little bit by him, mm-hmm. who uh, despite his uh, economics background, he kind of pivoted into a career in, in tech, right? So he was, um, his his last job was as uh, CIO of, of the national uh, railway company in, in Portugal. So mm-hmm. basically all the IT systems and infrastructure which are necessary to to make sure that trains run <laughs> in a in a safe, and orderly manner, mm-hmm. um, and, and and I guess his his duality at the end of the day inspired me not not just to, well focused um, focus on the things which I was good at like math and physics etc., but also kind of complemented by interests um, of, of, of reading different stuff right so mm-hmm. so books around. Uh, political philosophy economics etc and and i had always this dual interest um and while deciding where to go and study at the university my my reasoning was i should go to the field which um actually um, could give me more leverage in terms of future opportunities mm-hmm. um and uh, inspired also by the examples of people who studied engineering and then opened up for kind of broader management careers and not seeing the same happening the other way around so people going into economics did, or management did you
0: actually think like that back in the day or you just kind of reverse thinking your your way to to those days
1: no I, th- I think i thought about it like that um i was obviously very coached by by my dad who, mm. who was a very important figure as i grew up and um, and and i guess um yeah, if, if I look at it back now, I think it's it's a choice that um, makes sense, right? At, at the end of the day, um, you will always need to learn how to navigate new topics yourself and how to, to do self study and self development. And obviously, it's much more easy to do that in fields which are more, um, yeah, perhaps a bit less technical or more mainstream. Rather than like pure engineering stuff, so so it's really back then where my interest for for these sort of topics materialized, um, and um, I think electrical and computer engineering in, in specifically was very interesting because in itself as an engineering discipline it, it's quite broad, right? Mm-hmm. So you have stuff like uh, electronics, like uh, High voltage stuff. You have uh, the uh, telecommunications part. You have the computer engineering part. So it's quite eclectic as as a field, and um, yeah, and so so it gives you kind of a broad base of of education, uh, which I kind of complemented on the side with um, with a lot of, of activities, kind of gravitating around the university, more mm-hmm. around kind of associations and junior enterprises. Okay. Um, where I saw really the opportunity of converging engineering disciplines to 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 build stuff and and provide products and services, and converging with with management capabilities to like as in running an organization for profit.
0: So m- my question to you is: Why, why do you think um, so few young people actually have that kind of uh, mental framework of saying, okay, maybe I want to go to something where I'm going to be leveraged but i have more options in the future and they they end up going to stuff that you know um closes them options and then you know after a few years in the in the in the marketplace they end up saying oh maybe i have to i don't know study programming or go back to the school to get the skills that i didn't get in the first place so uh, yeah maybe a little bit unfair because you're not (laughs) other young people but since you had that kind of framework Where do you see the root to that reasoning system of yours?
1: Well, I think, you know, we are very shaped by our environment. And as we are young, um, our family, particularly our parents and and friends of of our parents and kind of your natural ecosystem Mm -hmm. um, is something which which is really kind of pivotal in terms of um, the influence it has on you. And I guess, um, I, I looking back, I think this was a, a bit by chance of being born and raised in a particular ecosystem and not necessarily because I learned or I've become acquainted with this sort of thinking in the more, let's say, traditional school system, um, et cetera, right? So so it was more out of influence by my, my sphere rather than, than something else. I believe today, um, things might be changing a bit uh, because I, 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 from, from what I know, there's more and more schools that are opening up um, less traditional, let's say, optional classes or activities, which I think are really important to expose young people to to, to, to other stuff. Mm-hmm. However, um, I think we, we still live a bit in a culture, especially when it comes to, let's say, the schooling system, where um, difficult things, they get a bad rep. And um, I'm not sure uh, how many of, of you uh, listening uh, have, have tried programming, but obviously um, it's something which is highly technical. It's something which is not necessarily very obvious. Mm-hmm. It comes with a particular way of, of thinking and structuring your the way you look at, at things and problems. And um, if we are not able to, to develop or to help develop tools and systems so that young kids have the ability to um, be more um, open towards experimenting, open towards difficult things, open towards failure. If we don't do that, the ability or the probability that people exposed to these difficult topics will have a hard time in, in, in their first class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, a, that's an important thing.
0: All right, so you you got out of uni and your first job was uh, in the tech industry at large.
1: Uh, Well, kind of. So uh, I would say that my first job, although it was not a paying job, was the job of of running a a junior company. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you're familiar with the concept, but basically... With with tech. No, it was the other one. So the, in, in uh, the Technical University of, of Lisbon, mm-hmm. um, in Instituto Superior Technique, right. so the leading engineering school in Portugal, yeah. you have basically two junior enterprises. You have Junitech, which which is in the Lisbon campus, mm-hmm. and you have Systems Group, which is in the Oeres campus. Okay. And although I studied in the Lisbon campus, I uh, lived close to the Oeres uh, campus. And, and this Systems Group organization was essentially a student-run company, mm-hmm which delivered, um, let's say at large technology solutions, not, not only, but mostly technology uh, solutions and products to, to small and, and medium businesses. And um, yeah, I joined basically to, to run um, a project which the, the company was, was doing for, for, uh, for a client in, in the um, hospitality business back, back mm-hmm. in the day.
0: Now, what, what was your role?
1: Yeah, so I was kind of let's say in t- today's words a uh, product manager, but essentially I was I was running the whole research, ideation and and build uh, kind of cycle for for that particular product. It was interesting because it was it it, a software product. It was a software product which had uh which was wrapped in a in a in a in a hardware uh component. This was like 2010, so it was really early days of mobile technology, mm-hmm. um, especially in Portugal, which is always obviously uh, a mm-hmm. few years lagging uh, other, other more advanced uh, or more sophisticated, well, markets, probably, yeah. let's say advanced markets, to make it uh, gentle. Uh, and yeah, back then, so iPads and iPhones and, and those sorts of things were, were new. Uh, and the idea was to build a, a, an app which would be embedded on an iPad experience and which should be uh, which would be made available as a digital concierge in in luxury hotels in in Lisbon. So we without knowing because at, at that time like product and all these things I mean for me they were completely unheard of concepts. But we we used the logic of um, finding a, a persona, finding a partner to to get uh, feedback uh, from and and to build it with. And building a prototype, launching it in a hotel, getting feedback from the hotel and the customers. You know.
0: All right. So w- w- was this was this a product that some hotel asked your junior company to to build, no. or you guys came up with the concept?
1: Yeah, we came up with the concept, and then we we received a, a couple of feedback rounds from like a couple of, of hotel kind of general managers, and based on that, we decided that there, there was enough evidence for us to go build something. Um, yeah, and, and that Which was did. that was my role uh, back
0: in the day. Yeah. What happened to that project?
1: Well, it it it, it kind of crashed because the, the the product worked. It 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 was kind of well. It it looked really good, and back in the day, uh, we were really you're, proud. You were of, proud of the yeah, baby. <laughs> we were really proud of it. Um, but yeah, my so so we had like we were three people. One of them went to study uh, in Holland. The other one decided to drop university. Like he was a really sophisticated uh, engineer who was programming since he was seven or so, and he decided to drop out of school and and go work in a in a. I think it was like a 3D motion company dropped out of university yeah so he dropped out of university okay. and and there I was alone oh, with he's the most the
0: successful guy of all of your <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I haven't spoken to him in a while but I no, would say
0: that maybe you should send him this podcast <laughs> the, the,
1: the probability is quite high uh, that he's the most successful one yeah but, but anyway so uh, I think we 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 reached the point in which, like, we, we had the pilot running in, mm. a, in a couple of hotels. Um, but then things, like, things are not so, like, things don't flow as... Right, L-
0: life gets in the way. As you
1: imagine them, and, and then the team starts to, to shake a little bit. And so I think it, it failed because of our sheer lack of experience. I mean, we were well, 19 and What 20. happened
0: to you? So you ended up, fin- you're, you're obviously not a dropout, and, and then you went outside of Portugal.
1: Yeah. So I, I was doing that. And, and then the year after I, I, I ran to basically be in charge of the company. So mm. the, 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 that that's organization has a yearly election cycle. And right. the, the idea is to give more students the opportunity to run the company, so I ran oh, okay. uh, and and I got elected. So, you so became a manager. I became a, manager. a real manager. <laughs> so that, that was uh, yeah. That, <laughs> that was, was your
0: first management experience. My
1: first management experience when I was twenty. Okay. And uh, so I combined the last year of my uh, bachelor degree in, in electrical and com- computer engineering with that managing role at. Uh, How hard was that? Systems group it was pretty hard. I mean. Uh, yeah, engineering school is is not is not for the faint-hearted. Like it's yeah. it's hard work. Um, obviously, in 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 the in the third year, I think you're mo- kind of already a, a bit used to it. So you have your systems in place, and yeah, you you know how how the flow goes. So you're more prepared to be able to start and parallelize with different stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I I did it. And then I decided to. Uh, yeah, to to basically find a a master's program abroad to mm-hmm. yeah to go and and explore, and that's how I ended up in Belgium, uh, in which where I, where I've studied for for a year. I, I I did my master's like quite an intensive one in one so year.
0: You, you said okay. I want so what was the the reasoning process to decide one to go out of out of Portugal, and two. Um, that specific university or at least that specific master's area that you ended up choosing and by the way, w- which was it? So I did a master's
1: in um, like the, the umbrella term it was called information management but it was essentially applied statistics right, right. so uh, both on the let's say application side of things, right? So really on, on on methods and on algorithms and machine learning, et cetera, but also a bit upstream from that in terms of what are the infrastructure fundamentals that you need in terms of systems design, in terms of database design, etc. for you to, to build your systems to capture and run data so that you can after implement the more sophisticated stuff on top. So mm-hmm. it was quite interesting. Uh, my, my decision was essentially I would say inspired by, by a friend who has who did it like one year before I did. So actually it was one of the guys of the hotel uh, product who went to, to study in, in the Netherlands and his experience was a bit of an inspiration for me. So I would say like as, as in between brackets, surround yourself by people who, like take chances and take risks and do yeah difficulty. like you're you're the average
0: you're the average of your five best friends right yeah now.
1: I mean don't 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 give it a, a second thought I mean that's definitely true
0: so surround surround yourself yeah
1: that's so true. By, by interesting people and and you'll get in, you'll get inspired by them and and hopefully you you will be able to inspire them as well at different points in in your life so I think that that was part of it another one was I think a uh, uh, a uh, deep-seated curiosity around exploring the unknown, which I think also comes very much from from the side of of my mother, uh, who um, in the 80s, um, and let's not forget, I mean, this was 40 years ago, so Mm -hmm. right now it might not seem very impressive, but 40 years ago, as a single woman she decided to go live abroad by herself in in the uk and she she was she she taught at the university of, of liverpool for seven years uh, portuguese literature mm-hmm. uh, before she actually knew so my you dad had and
0: that, that reference of going abroad and studying abroad well, yeah and so that was studying abroad and and what motivated you to get a little bit out of the engineering path right mm. because you ended up going to information management uh, systems uh why why was that
1: yeah I think uh, again, that was probably a continuation of the reasoning that got me to study engineering in the first place. Mm-hmm. so it was uh, with the idea of of broadening my scope of complementing my skills and ge- giving me exposure to other things right
0: So I had because I, I guess most of your colleagues they go default mode. Mm-hmm. they just go to the masters of the same course that they were doing at the Institute Technical, oh. right
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably the most common path.
0: All right, so you were in Belgium, you got your master's, and then let's go to work.
1: Yeah, let's go to work. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I can't say that I really started in the tech industry if I, if I put aside the systems group, uh, junior enterprise context, right. we, which I really interpret as my first job, although mm-hmm. it was an unpaid job. Uh, but if we take that aside, I, I actually started to work in the energy sector, um, in, in, in in a large organization called Shell one of the biggest companies in the world mm-hmm. uh, and although well it's an energy company but it has a really really strong engineering fi- foundation so although I was not working in the tech sector I was working in a context in a culture in an environment which is filled with engineers which which has a really really kind
0: of Um, engineering driven yeah
1: engineering driven way of of thinking Mm -hmm. and of running the company and and also surrounded by quite impressive capabilities and r&d and and technology right so Uh,
0: what what were the the biggest challenges you faced in that specific industry um so
1: i think there were challenges that were associated with with working in a in a company with that scale right so it's i mean
0: so it's it's one of the biggest companies in the world
1: yeah it's one of the biggest companies in the world like at at that time it had around i think 100,000 staff plus 400,000 contractors so basically half a million people working across the globe for the company so it's like really big and um and i think like as you get in as uh, like fresh from university um it it it's a bit not necessarily overwhelming but it's a bit um like you, you i think i struggled a little to find my my space in the beginning because it, everything seemed just so big that how can i actually contribute how can i actually have, have impact. an impact right. yeah and um yeah i was lucky enough that things came my way uh, and and I, I had a bunch of very interesting opportunities that happened relatively quickly. But in in the that first impact was really well, this is big, and like how how should I navigate this? I think there were also a couple of challenges associated with the industry, and because obviously, like today we we call it an energy company. Actually, it's one of the largest renewables uh, investors and operators in the world but back then it's it's a company it was a company that had a, a really um, a, a really clear uh, uh, connection to to an industry which 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 was and which is well, a, a dirty industry right so right. It's, it's a highly pollutant uh, industry but but it's it's a polluting industry which is necessary to run the world as we know it right, right. if if we didn't have these sort of companies like the, the lights on on the bulbs would, would not blink and and we would not have the infrastructure and i, I and think, quality I think of in life.
0: 2022 by the end of 2022 that's pretty clear at this moment exactly uh, yeah but um you ended up being involved in in a project inside inside shell to develop what could be defined as a corporate startup, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, wh- what's that story about, and what was that startup actually trying to do?
1: Yeah. So, so that's a, that's that was a very cool experience. It it was actually my last uh, role before I, I left Shell and and came back to Portugal a bit temporarily because I, I left again afterwards. But um, so the, the the last mission which which I was um. Yeah, kind of invited to to execute, was to uh, join a a bunch of colleagues and 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 um, and launch a, a corporate venture, which was part of a, a broader let's say business building program within Shell. So essentially, the company at Sorry, some and, point and yeah.
0: those business business building programs they were fully financed by Shell itself, fully
1: financed by okay. Shell, and and really they were born out of the um out of the realization that uh, digital technology and digital innovation uh were disrupting completely disrupting like all businesses across mm-hmm. across sectors right and um in 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 the culture of shell like this is really a company which uh, operates at v- all different time horizons simultaneously mm-hmm. right so uh, it, and it can only be like that, right? Because they they are doing R and D, which only will be able to be monetized in ten
0: years from now, right? Yeah, so they, so they were actually one of the inventors of the prospective studies back in the nineteen seventies. For sure, right? the scenarios, the scenarios, very
1: studies. famous Shell scenarios. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, so they are used to doing that, and and therefore, their idea was okay. Mm-hmm. Let's look at our complete value chain. And let's see where are we at risk of being attacked by a digital disruptor. And we are talking about the value chain which has probably like fifty businesses, like fifty businesses with PNLs which over like a billion dollars. Like mm-hmm. it's huge business, actually huge multiple businesses. And and then the idea was to pinpoint opportunities and, and one of those which we found was the idea that um our retail business back then could be um, at risk, uh, and the retail business is essentially composed out of the, the retail sites where people go and and uh, fill up their their tanks. The gas stations. Exactly, gas stations. It's a it's a, a, a more colloquial way of <laughs> of calling them. And, and um, which, which
0: I've heard, um, as, as, you know, someone was telling the story about gas stations the other day that big part of their business is actually. Not selling gas, but selling all the other stuff other than gas, right? Uh, the stuff that you buy NFR. for sure. Eh?
1: Like the the margins there are, are really big. Right. Um. Uh, it, it's it's actually called in the industry NFR, yeah. so non fuel retailing. Right. And it's it's a very important part of the PL of a, a gas station. A gas station. Yeah.
0: So you guys said, okay, how can we disrupt gas stations?
1: How can we disrupt gas stations? Uh, because if you think about it, one like these things are expensive like the the capex of, of building one is actually quite expensive the opex is also expensive to maintain it no one really likes to go and fill up their cars that's the reality i mean there could especially be especially me <laughs> well yeah i've heard you had some uh, adventures in in regarding that uh, part of your life recently <laughs> yeah. but but people don't like it like right. like what happened to you they can uh, make a mistake and 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 fit the wrong nozzle in the car, right. and, and have a problem afterwards. Yeah. Um, the depth of the problem depends on whether you <laughs> click your you, you turn on the car afterwards or not. Which <laughs> gladly you you haven't, then. haven't done. Uh, so the, the problem is not so deep. But but anyway, people don't
0: like it, right? The, so that was the first insight. People yeah. don't like necessarily this is not the joyable experience it's so not, what have you done that, like, oh i went to time. the gas station oh man, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, it's a
1: waste of time uh, like it's it smells bad right um, especially Something if
0: you could avoid it you, you would. you it. Yeah.
1: imagine like you're an executive like you're a female 40 year old executive Right. <laughs> you have your suit on, like you have your nails done from the weekend like the last you, thing you want to do is fuel yeah i mean the car like getting your hands dirty like it smells bad etc right. right so People don't like it, um, and and in in a second huge trend which which we saw back then, like this was, 2016-17, uh, was really the the surge of uh, apps which were actually built around bringing convenience right. to people's the on, lives.
0: So-called on-demand economy.
1: On-demand economy, like it was, kind of growing up in Europe massively 2015 16 etc so it was a, a big a bit the convergence of, of, of these elements so the, the risk of okay uh can we actually be like can there be a player who is doing this in a completely different way and putting our, our business at risk and secondly <laughs> uh, can uh can we actually avoid make people circumvent the need to go to a gas station which is something what was your solution what did you came up with so the 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 idea was was simple uh, although a bit crazy and so imagine a world in which there's no gas stations like there's no gas stations and actually there's actually there's no physical fixed physical infrastructure to deliver uh, energy for mobility and this, this could include in the umbrella both gas stations but also uh, physical chargers to to charge up your, your electric car or your hybrid. And imagine that all energy for mobility is delivered uh, in a fully um, flexible, On, on-demand, on-demand and mobile right. way. So imagine, uh, as a second derivative of that, imagine a world in which you have a bunch of very small uh, electric cars with a tank on the back and this tank either has like liquid fuel or a supercharger and they are driving around the city and based on what people uh, with their apps on the phones, uh, based on, on their demand for uh, a fill up or how we we called it we called the, the, the business back then tap up, so you would tap your phone and then someone would come and fill up your car, that's why mm-hmm. tap up um, and based on this, this whole mobile infrastructure of these little cars going around and filling up based on where people would put their pin and uh, would book uh, and say, well, I need my car filled up at four in the morning. It's The car is parked here outside of, of my house or it's parked here at 5 p.m. in my office building. And then all of these mobile kind of, um, yeah, squad of vehicles would go around and, and fill them up. So imagine uh, in one line, uber for fuel delivery
0: all right so you were doing that and somehow you guys um needed to pivot the business because for some reason and i i've heard you telling the story before but i didn't understand was there a real need to pivot or in in your own Opinion: there was no need to pivot and you guys maybe you didn't just fully you were not fully vested in 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 the way that you wanted to go in the first place
1: yeah i think uh, pivoting was needed uh, from the perspective of quickly uh, arriving to a, a profitable scenario which was not necessarily in my opinion the biggest driver of, of the whole exercise, right? So I think we were trying to build something or to discover something that would become mainstream and relevant like a bunch of years later. And mm. um, so I think the need to pivot, if if that was the, the business context around the pivot and, and when the pivot was actually executed, I was not there anymore. So I'm not fully aware of, of the discussions at that point. Mm-hmm uh but my um yeah my perspective on the on the whole subject is was and is that we should have continued to iterate on our value proposition and on our way of operating to find the right way of, 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 well, of having product market fit and of understanding how can we actually build a business around the concept.
0: But you didn't, you ended up not having product market fit, at least not in the B2C. Not
1: in the B2C. But we, we didn't have product market fit after one or two iterations on, on, on the whole uh, business, right? Which mm-hmm. by any normal standards is is not enough right because you you actually need to try a, a bunch of different ways of, of of getting it because the probability especially when it's something so disruptive the probability mm-hmm. that it's going to be a home run on your first try is actually uh, probably is quite low right
0: all right so your your thesis is that you should have kept iterating the develop proposition for a while i think but so that yeah. didn't happen that didn't happen so you said guys good luck and you moved on
1: yeah, well, uh, yeah, I didn't agree with with the whole direction. Also, at that time, I had some uh, uh, personal kind of reasons to return to Portugal. My dad was quite ill at that time, mm-hmm. uh, so I decided it was a good time to to move on and and do something else.
0: All right, so you're back in Portugal, and you know, I I know a bunch of things happening in in, in a while. You ended up start working for a local startup here, which, by the way, um, is, is has been quite successful in the automated retail space and eventually you were invited to join Cofidis.
1: Yeah, that was it. So I was invited to join as um as head of innovation uh, not in the executive team of 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 Cofidis Portugal but reporting directly to the CEO, right? With so with a very clear mandate of um developing a company-wide innovation strategy. Um, and and then putting it in motion uh, yeah and uh, and I really like felt I really felt that it was a really interesting opportunity um as a next step especially because um the sheer amount of enthusiasm that uh, that the CEO had when he was telling me this 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 story and his vision for the company that that was really that was really energizing right mm-hmm. and uh, although I was relatively young back then um i i had already done a bunch of things right so and and i met various people across across geographies and industries and contexts etc and back then I, i i understood that um like the people who are around you one more time um here i'm not talking about necessarily friends but um your direct team your boss like those people play um a, a very disproportionate role in terms of the success you can have on a particular role and the fun you can have, right? So, um, I think, for example, those people they are much more important than the industry or the brand or mm-hmm. the concept. I mean, if you have the right people around you, if you have the right support, if you have the right vision, the right empowerment, I think you you can make an, you you can make an out of, an, an opportunity out of where there seems to be something which is not such an exciting opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, Absolutely. And you've been here in Cofidis for um, how many years? Three no? years now. Three years now. What have been the most innovative, I guess the key word here is innovative, um, projects that you have worked in the last three years here at Cofidis? So, so I guess that's what people really want to know. Yeah. They right? look at this company, which is you know, incumbent company, right? Um, which has been operating in Portugal for almost 30 years now, and they ask, "Okay, I understand the company is kind of doing something fresh and new, but what is really innovative in the last three years?"
1: Okay, so uh, I think um, first of all, let me just uh, jump in with with, a, with, a, with 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 a small detail around uh, the word uh, project, which you use there. I think. Um, For us here at Coffee is one of the huge shifts uh, that we've made over the last three years is really to think of the company and run the company as a a product-led company. And and this means that um, we have uh, specific parts of the business which are oriented according to to the product way of of working and product structure. And therefore, they are not... um, they are not projects which have a beginning and an end. They are things which are here for the long run and are playing kind of the infinite game. And therefore- I love that. These products are, um, yeah, are part today of, of the fabric of the company. And I would say um, the most innovative things that we've done so far, like the, there's things that happened at the product level and then there's also I would say innovative things that happen uh more on an organizational level and how we, we approach and how we run the entire company. Mm-hmm. So at, at the product level, uh I, I can give you a couple of examples. So um and, and actually I'll give you examples of things which worked, which existed before I arrived, but being transformed into a product way of, of working and a product framing they've been completely revamped with very interesting results so they have
0: been productized instead been been that were not products now they were productized inside the company exactly mm-hmm.
1: so i think that's one dimension of examples i can give another one is actually new products which have been launched and um well their reasoning and their impact and everything and then the third topic is around the organization so one for each right uh things that have been productized and have delivered massive amounts of value. So for example, so we, we are essentially a, a a consumer finance company, right? So we deliver um, mostly credit products to customers and we do it in a completely uh, remote way, right? So 30, 55 years ago when we arrived we used to do it over the phone. It was actually pretty innovative back then. It was actually a new category mm-hmm. credit over the phone instead of credit at at a at a physical location at a right. physical branch of a, a bank um but then with the with the growth with the uh, surge and growth of of the internet um the model pivoted into into a remote uh way of, of evaluating creditworthiness and of granting credit through the internet. And um, our business uh, today has like two different legs. It has a B2C leg and it has a B2B2C uh, leg. The B2B2C leg is where we work with auto dealers and with retailers, uh, specialized retailers, let's say in health or in sports or in furniture or whatever. And at the point of sale, they use um coffee dish credit products to essentially have a better value proposition for the customers of these retailers uh, and here our operation again is uh, f- managed fully remotely through digital channels in which we are able to assess with the help of the retailer um, gather data from the customer make an automated credit decision based on our uh, credit decision models and then grant or not the credit so this is b2b to c mm-hmm. and on the b2c side uh, we are basically um, like a digital lender right so we have a, a huge investment let's say in in, um, in in digital marketing right in across channels and across typologies of content and um, and then we have essentially a, a, an e-commerce site which is used to subscribe for credit products and uh and this site uh, it was used to be managed um, a little bit as kind of an institutional website with the ability to collect some data from customers and with that data then have an army of credit advisors calling the people to gather more data and and to make sure that much more
0: of a push operation yeah
1: kind of a push operation and uh we've recently and recently now it's it's been a year and a half or so we've completely revamped um our our website uh, to work purely as a like as a pure e-commerce um play in which we are able to convert leads that come in either organically or um through uh, the digital investments and and basically give them a completely fluid and integrated experience which allows them to choose the right credit product for their needs um and, and and just helping them along the way uh from a uh perspective of, of gathering the right data of doing the KYC of the customer and at the end of the day having a credit decision and transferring um the uh, the amount uh, into into the customer's account right so this this product now so the, the website of coffee Digital is managed as a as a product now has a fully uh, m- fully Complete product team, uh, which is composed out of product managers, associate product managers, designers, the, data, data, data folks, engineers, etc. Mm-hmm. And these folks uh, are are basically organized to um, continuously experiment on how do we give the best experience, how do we increase conversion. Right, do they
0: uh, keep doing continuous discovery and and adding value to the user. Exactly,
1: and we do this like before. Maybe we would run like, uh, let's say, one A-B test per, per, mm-hmm. per month. Now we, we run multiple A-B tests per week. Now uh, we use, before we used to launch a new version of the website every other month or two months. Now we launch uh, new versions of the website on a, on a weekly basis, sometimes twice per week. And, and this cadence and this rhythm um, has basically, like has completely transformed our, our metrics and, and the way this product delivers value for the company.
0: What's your big innovation thesis for a company like Kofidis? Uh
1: Well, to, to answer your question, maybe let me go to the second dimension, which is um, what we've been launching and innovating on, um, which which didn't exist before. And here I, I, I'll i mention um, an example which has been quite talked about because uh, I think it has had some very good growth and, and also some like Market exposure, broadly speaking. And that's called Coffee Dish Pay. Mm-hmm. So, Coffee Dish Pay is a, an ecosystem of digital products uh, which are centered around the Buy Now, Pay Later um, uh, solution. product right. solution, which um, is being complemented with, um, w- with other financial products around it, right? So, we started with Buy Now, Pay Later, we'll go into Credit. And then uh we will complete the ecosystem. We are completing the ecosystem with a, a an app um which is oriented towards the customer and which allows the customer um to basically uh repeat purchases uh, to um to use uh discount uh or a promotion promotion uh, uh codes to to incentivize and repeats repeat operations in in our retail network of partners and essentially it's an ecosystem of adding value to the customer and making sure that we connect uh, the two uh, largest universes of, of, of personas that we add value to so the retailers and the customers
0: mm-hmm and I guess part of your innovation thesis resolves around making coffee this more of fintech
1: Yeah, so I think the the innovation thesis, um, as as this example demonstrates, Mm -hmm. is to be able to uh, leverage digital technology to provide value for customers and retailers in a very, very scalable way. And why do I uh, underscore scalable? Because traditionally, um, companies like Coffee Dish, the way they used to operate was, basically very heavy on manual stuff, um, which would be like, based on the type of uh, financial products we used to sell, which had high margins, like we we could accommodate that, but it was essentially a linear model. So the more demand you had as a company. on,
0: On one hand, you want to make the company more efficient on the one hand, we want to be
1: able to run the company in a in a very efficient way and a very scalable way because we believe that there's a lot of growth opportunity but this growth should come at marginal cost which is very low, right? right. And the only way to do that is through technology. and But that is complemented with uh, being able to find uh, streams of value that uh, will allow us to be more relevant in the lives of our customers and partners and this could mean for example, that uh, instead of just providing to our auto dealers a credit product for their point point of sales operation, we allow them uh, to, or we we empower them to digitalize their business. For example, so we've made a strategic partnership with the OLX group um, and the largest marketplace of uh, of of, of um, auto uh, auto classified auto right. ads. Uh, which is called uh, Stand Virtual here in Portugal, and basically in, in this strategic partnership, we are helping all of our dealers move online and be able to uh, uh, be much more present in the beginning of the the chain where customers are are looking when they are looking to buy a new car.
0: All right. So, so for people that don't know how Cofidis is organized, so Cofidis is it's a French group and it has branches in a number of European countries, like you know, Portugal, Spain, Italy, um, France of course, and uh, a couple of others. Are not you afraid um of foreign competitors, especially for Gen Zers that have you know Revolute in their pockets, suddenly starting offering easy digital first credit solutions that are going in a way to disrupt um offerings like this? Especially, uh, especially because you know, um, I think this is a regulated market, to the best of my knowledge, highly Highly regulated market. But um, you know, some Lithuanian company could start selling consumer credit in Portugal.
1: Well, not not in a very easy way, frankly. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, we are going to our perspective is that there will be more and more standardization of, of regulation across Europe um, to make sure that there's this type of European place can can emerge in a, in a more integrated way. And I think that's a good thing for the market and for consumers. But today, it, it, this is not so easy and that has been demonstrated many times by the lack of ability that these companies have had like Revolut in, in scaling their operations mm-hmm. across Europe for things which are beyond a uh, Simple Payments account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I so believe you're
0: not very bullish about this vision?
1: No, I, I'm bullish, no, don't get me wrong. I think that that's kind of a secular trend and I think uh, that's going to come. Um, now the question for us, and, and this is where I'd like to, to to put the emphasis on, is how can we anticipate that and how can we forge um, deeper and more meaningful relationships with, with our customers today? Um, because I guess these players first of all, this secular trend it will take time to play out first of all, second I think it's highly dependent on economic cycles and and obviously now we are starting uh, like we are in the midst of a downturn uh, I don't have a crystal ball of, of whether when that's going, like how for how long and how deep that, that is going to be but there's people that argue that that will be here for a while uh, and 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 obviously Portugal as a as a kind of more satellite market because of our size, so it's 10 million people roughly. And normally it's it's really it's it's usually in the bottom of priority lists for these international expansions. Right. So I think,
0: although the Coffee This Portugal is the second biggest uh, Coffee This of the group. Yeah, that's and true. And one of the most profitable ones.
1: That's true. So I think we are really well integrated here in in the portuguese economy we have very strong brand that brand has not always been um known for the 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 best reasons i think like as the industry like this industry has a history of um not necessarily very transparent practices consumer finance in general and it's not Mm -hmm. only in portugal it's across europe like that's that's been like the whole momentum of, of consumer finance growth um in between let's say late 90s or mid 90s and pre-financial crisis mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there were like 15 years of, of really big growth yeah. uh, which
0: um those were the you know wolf of Wall street years <laughs> for the the consumer credit yeah and others in uh, and other, and others, and other of parts
1: course. of the finance industry and i think the the the, the great financial crisis has brought uh, a good amount of new regulation, uh, of, of good oversight, and um, and basically has been a, a really good catalyzer for these sort of companies to reinvent themselves, to uh, have caps on their prices, and to be able to operate, uh, or to be motivated to operate in a much leaner way, because if you have lower gross margins, that means that, uh, yeah, you'll need to find ways to... to Automate stuff and to run in a, in a more, uh, yeah, lightweight your business essentially. All
0: right, so I I think your innovation thesis results from what 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 you're saying, um, making coffee is a product-led growth um, strategy, right? Uh, make it a product-led company, and um, and w- one of the things people could argue is, and I think you said it yourself, you are limited to Portugal alone. So it's like, I don't know, maybe 5 million adults or 7 7 million adults that actually, uh, you know, less if you actually consider the ones that actually can apply for a credit. So, I don't know, maybe 5 million people. Um, So that's it. You can be the best product-led company in Portugal, but you're still limited to the 5 million consumers here. So what is the exit strategy for that?
1: Well, so so I think, I mean, we are part of an international group. Mm -hmm. um, And although we operate in a very independent way, like on a market by market basis. I think part of our ambition is to uh, serve as a platform to experiment new ways of, of running the company and new ways of approaching our business model. And and with that, like launching the fundamentals for, um, or, or fostering new types of fundamentals to emerge for the whole group. Uh, and I think that's, that's going to be a really interesting ride. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Uh, but I think for sure that we we believe in what we are doing. We think what we are doing is not bound like this way of thinking and this philosophy is actually very relevant across markets and it's quite geography independent.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things, of course, uh, is disrupting a little bit the market, coming up with new revenue streams. You talked about that. Why do you think it's so hard to do... Disruptive or moonshot innovations in in a in a you know in a traditional market, but also inside a, an incumbent like 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 Ofidis.
1: Well, I think disruptive innovation um, by nature it, it's something difficult, right? Um, it's difficult because well, disruptive innovation that works, right? Because I mean, there's plenty of disruptive example, like examples of disruptive stuff that actually prove not to be scalable or profitable or or even relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Something could be very disruptive, but could lack product market fit, right? Um, So I, I would like to perhaps separate the two things, right? So one is the ability to try out and experiment with disruptive concepts. Another is to make those disruptive or share of those dis- disruptive concepts successful and, and scalable. Um, on, on the trying out of, of disruptive things, w- w- why I think that's difficult in, in companies like, like ours, I think it has a lot to do with, um, with, with bandwidth, right? So I think these, these organizations, um, they've been here for a while so they accumulate a lot of debt, right? Uh, and, he, and I'm I'm using what, the term what, what, what debt. What kind of debt? Yeah, I'm 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 using the term not
0: financial debt, debt in, in, in this case. Yeah, that's for sure. In, but in a
1: loose way, right? So uh,
0: organizational debt. Yeah,
1: organizational debt, technical debt, cultural debt, right? And 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 obviously all this debt has a lot of influence around uh, the customer experiences that you provide and and the value that you add for your customers, right? So all this debt is going to have a detrimental impact on the experiences that you're able to offer to your customers. And, and I think all this that uh, wh- when we shift this or the, the organization to, to work in a different way, we are attempting, att- attempting to tackle all these debts and to revamp the organization and, and to leapfrog um, stages of maturity to, to, lead, to, to reach uh, more, more ambitious and more value-adding stages. And and obviously, th- this is a company-wide effort. Eh? It's a lot of hard work, like you need to invest a lot of money because you need to hire people, you need to uh, invest in technology, you need, you need to do a bunch of things in, in, able to, to in, in order to leapfrog this, this kind of stage of, of maturity. Uh, and, and and sometimes there's just not enough bandwidth to do other things. Um, personally, I, I think there needs to be always more bandwidth, um, and, and, and if there there's no more bandwidth, we need to be creative around finding, um, let's say, parallel tracks in which we can do other things, because we can't, like, f- being only focused on transforming your core business to operate in a much better way, to give much better customer experiences, that's not enough, in mm-hmm. my view, especially in an age where uh, technology plays such an important role in terms of, of, the development of society and customer habits, etc., and technology evolves in in such kind of exponential ways, and in such like technology is very zero to one, right? So one day, well, we are we have Google. The other day, we have Chat uh, GTP three GPT three, right? So like things happen from one day to the other, mm-hmm. and those 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 swings they have the ability to literally disrupt whole industries and business models right
0: they are unforeseen and uh, we are in a week where we have seen uh, fusion um yeah, power for just sure. uh, be net positive for the first time in a in a controlled manner um what do you think is the future of the fintech industry going to look like and speaking about technologies and not just technologies but teams which ones are you most excited about in 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 this fin <clears throat> financial space to have impact in this financial space yeah. so you spoke about i don't know chat gp3 um how, how how do you see this this kind of technology is coming around and actually having a dent a uh, mm-hmm. real impact in this industry so
1: i think um the, the finance industry is, is quite old right um i wrote an article yeah, a couple of months ago, for an economics newspaper that spoke a little bit about the history of the industry mm-hmm. and how it emerged uh, in uh, in the seventeenth century in Amsterdam in capital markets, how 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 the whole thing kind of shaped. Mm-hmm. Although there were like this is kind of the modern financial industry. Um, although financial industry has been there for. It's much forever. longer than that right, right? because
0: right. debt has been a, things, a thing. i think it's it's human right yeah for sure i mean people it's, it's exchange, with exchange one another you know, favors and, and therefore money.
1: credit gets created right. and 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 uh and payments are there because like if i give you this for that i mean there's a transaction so there needs to be some sort of relationship between what we are exchanging on so so the industry has been here for a have while have you seen
0: the, the, the experiment with monkeys where they have two monkeys And they are paying monkeys, uh, I don't know, bananas for some task. And suddenly they start paying this monkey a little bit less than the other monkey. Just a little bit less. I haven't seen it. The monkey gets crazy. It gets really (laughs) crazy. So it's innate to the human nature, I guess, even to the primate nature. Because at the end of the day, that's what we are. Just a bunch of primates, right? Um, With fancy clothes and uh, and MacBook Pros. Um, To... Be a little bit mad with debt, mm-hmm. right? Especially when it goes wrong.
1: <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, like, there's there's a sense of, of, of justice as well, justice, which is inherent exactly, to us, exactly. And and I think, um, yeah, the financial industry plays plays an important role there. Um, however, I, like, no matter how developed the whole industry has gotten, and and, and has gotten, and you can argue that uh, to some extent. Like it has gotten more sophisticated than it should have because like there's a bunch of very complex uh, investment products and speculative products which which can cause uh, a whole bunch of disruption in in the market and and uh, hurt consumers at the end of the day. But if we if we skip aside like more kind of investment grade stuff and sp- and and, and, and on you know, like the spec speculative side of, of finance and if we focus more on the day to day let's call it retail finance right uh, so finance which which happens to be on our day to day lives i think uh we have yet to find the um the model so that uh these companies so financial services companies the the model uh, with which they can play a, a, a deeper and more meaningful role in people's lives. Mm -hmm. I think today, um, companies like Cofidis and others, they are mostly enablers, right? So they serve as the infrastructure for people's financial lives to to run on, right? So you have a checking account, you have a debit card, you have a credit card, you can ask for a personal loan, these sorts of things. But um, there's still a huge gap between the needs, like the deeper needs that people have regarding their finances, namely around education, namely around um, the sophistication on how you manage your own personal financial decisions Mm -hmm. and this sort of stuff, and the role that these companies actually play, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So in my mind, um, this is going to be powered by technology but it's not necessarily a technology play. This is more a repurposing of these institutions mm-hmm. and the finding ways to be there for what people really need. And people, they just don't need the basic finance infrastructure, although they have it and it's getting better and better, right? Before, for you to be able to get a bank card, to be a pain in the ass right now. Right. And there's, there's, there's companies that open a checking account in a couple of minutes and send you a card over the mail. And, and that's that's good right so mm-hmm. the basic ux of finance retail finance is improving but on a deeper and more meaningful side of things i believe that these companies have yet to find um the right model the right products the right services the right relationship the right channel to um yeah play a more meaningful role
0: in can people's it, can lives can you give us just a, an example of of a product or or maybe an initiative that Cofidis is is doing towards that vision of becoming more i guess a financially sustainable in people's lives mm-hmm. yeah so uh, open banking is it part of what you're talking about yeah
1: i think op- open banking um, is is a good one because it, i think it opens it's it's a piece of it's a piece of uh let's say apply technology on mm-hmm. top of uh regulation mm-hmm. um which opens up a bunch of very interesting use cases not just around better ux better experiences etc but also around uh, additional value uh, that you can deliver to customers for example um on how you have analytics on top of your account so that you can understand where you spend your money on you can ha- get perhaps tips around uh, how you can optimize your budget or um you can compare your your spend with let's say uh, an average spender in your country to see whether you're above or below and have recommendations on how to optimize and, and get a better financial health, for example, right? So so these sort of things, like they can be powered by open banking, but they can also be done in different ways. So in Coffee Dish, for, for example, we've been using for a while our, so we although we are a, a remote operator, we, we've acquired part of a bank a few years ago. And, and because of that acquisition, we, we still have, we have a couple of, of branches spread across the c- country, but it's it's relatively small. It's a b- bit more than ten branches, mm-hmm. and we we've we've uh, launched a um, financial checkup service, which is not based on open banking. Like it will be based on open banking tomorrow. Today it's not based on open banking, but which allows so, us which first is, to get which a, is available, which is available in branches For uh, a-
0: anyone, Cofidis client or not, or not, yeah. And what what is the outcome of that financial?
1: Yeah. So so basically, it's it's very geared towards um, debt uh, debt service reduction, okay. right? So basically, um, what are your uh, your financial responsibilities, right? So the, the credits that you have, the multiple ones, etc. How much do you pay, and uh, uh, what what is the level of um, debt to income uh, that you have, right? So mm-hmm. the, the, basically. The, the, the amount of, 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 of bandwidth that you have on a monthly basis for your other expenses and uh, this really can this ties in very well with some uh, debt consolidation products that we have at CoffeeDish mm-hmm. which are very useful to aggregate um, customer debt right. and, and essentially uh, restructuring that debt and and um, bundling it in one single financial product with with a lower monthly um expense or fee that um yeah. or payments that the customer will have to 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 to, to, to repay.
0: yeah so Jo, we're, we're coming c- close to, to the end of this podcast but before that let me just obviously you have been you have been the manager have been the leader of this innovation um division innovation leadership here means leading with people, leading with tech, leading with the rest of the industry, leading with the company itself. Uh, my question is what kind of things do you want do you remember yourself every single day um to, to lead you uh on your mission? Your North Star if you yeah. if you will.
1: <clears throat> I think um I'm really a, a a big believer in uh, incremental improvement, uh, and and both on a professional, professional side of of your life, but also on the personal side of your life. Actually, mm-hmm. I think this philosophy, to me, it it, it emerged more on the personal side. Um, mm-hmm. Like as I looked for ways to be a better person um and to be more disciplined and to uh, have better relationships with people around me and then i i I discovered like the 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 power of 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 compounding interest right so and this idea that if you're able to improve just a tiny bit every day uh, yeah
0: one percent over every day it's over one thousand (laughs) percent in a year right so exactly
1: so so yeah this this obviously it's it's a metaphor these things you you can't measure them so so easily uh but i have this constant uh reflection going on whether like i was able to do something a tiny bit better today than i did yesterday Mm -hmm. and uh and 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 i think this is a very powerful concept uh, when you're leading uh, an organization because um yeah, people can get very distracted, like I get distracted often, like there's a lot of noise going around, there's a lot of things, there's fires kind of popping right. up everywhere, uh, there's con- concurrent priorities, uh, but this this ability to step back, to look at things objectively and, and to do a bit of reflection uh, frequently around whether you're improving um, a little bit on this, on, on, on that, I think that's that's very important.
0: John thank you so much for joining us today um it's been you know great getting to know you a little bit better to be honest i i didn't know some some of the details that you shared with us today and your experience in in this uh, industry which is financial but it's also increasingly more a technological platform as well right
1: for sure i mean it was lovely to be here i think it's it's an exciting industry and the, this idea that um as one day, the, the CEO of BBVA a couple of years ago mentioned, like, we are not a financial services company anymore. We are just, we are a tech company that happens to deliver also financial products. And I think, uh, well, this sounds interesting and provocative and romantic, but I truly believe in that as well. I think like our company today is essentially a technology company. Uh, people have a super important role because I think technology will only make people more relevant in things which make humans different from machines and from Mm -hmm. algorithms and i think it's also been so far a very interesting journey to reflect on how we can better foster an environment where humans can grow where they can find their place to add the most value to the lives of our customers and our our merchants and uh Where we can invest in technology and digital products uh, to basically bring quality and scalability to our business.
0: Thank you, Joel. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah, cheers.